Hey, everybody. My name is... Hey, everybody. <laughs> Good morning, Mr. Mark. Um, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are um, starting to wrap up. Next week will be the last week of our series on I Want a New Marriage. If you have, by the way, any questions as we're going along, you can text your questions to 415-SB-ROCKS. We probably won't have time today at the end of the message to talk about the questions, but what we've done with some of the questions is in, we, we, we formed this Facebook group, and you can go to Facebook and you can search for I Want a New Marriage and click Join Group, and you can be in that group. And in this group, we, we talk about the message and different things about marriage during the week. So it's not just us here on Sunday in Rose, but it's an ongoing sort of conversation. And we put videos and different blogs and articles there in that group, so you can check that out. And if you have a question, we'll probably answer that question in that group. So we've been in this series, I Want a New Marriage, and there are so many things when it comes to marriage that are they're just difficult. They're hard. We're living with another human being in blessed, holy matrimony, sometimes you can really run into some very hard and difficult things. Lots of hurt, lots of frustration, um, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It seems like that Christians have just as much a hard time with some of these things as someone that uh, doesn't know Jesus. But uh, I think as many times because when, when it comes to our marriage, and especially the subject we're talking about today, we sort of separate Jesus from those things. But there's so many things that people are struggling with. There are people that are sitting right here. Um, you're having difficulty with communication, difficulty with fighting, um, you know, trying to figure out how do I live with this person? How do I please this person? How does this person please me? And why am I not getting what I want to get out of this relationship? All these questions, we've talked about some of those things. It's something we could talk about every Sunday and never cover it. But uh, what we want to talk about this morning is a subject that uh, churches have really, really shied away from talking on this. And, but, it, but it's something that it's at the core of everything that we are. And um, for example, uh, being a pastor, and I've been in different kinds of ministry for years and years and years. And from time to time, you know, somebody says, well, my, my husband and I, we need to make an appointment and we need to sit down and talk to you about some things in our marriage. Now, I'm a terrible counselor. I'm awful. Um, and here's one reason that I am an awful counselor. Even before you come to talk to me, if you say, hey, my husband and I want to come and talk to you, we're having some issues in our marriage. Eight out of ten times, and this is what I immediately do in my mind, I go, money and sex. Eight out of ten, it's money and sex. These are probably also the two biggest things that churches do not want to talk about. At least we don't want to talk much about money. Other churches like to talk about money a lot. But they're not wanting to talk about how you can have a better money situation in your life. They're wanting to talk about how you can help our money situation up here. But, by the way, pause for a commercial announcement. If you aren't coming to Life Group Wednesdays and you are thinking, what group can, what group can I get in? We have a group called Money Matters. If you haven't been through that, they use Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. You need to be in that group. It doesn't matter if you think your finances are perfect. They're not. Um, you need to go through that group. It will, it will revolutionize your life. But when it comes to talking about sex in church, and do you mind you guys seem really uptight this morning, can we just say out loud, one, two, three, we're going to say sex, all right? One, two, three. Sex. Doesn't that just feel good to say sex? Look at the person next to you. Hopefully it's your spouse. If not, it could be really awkward. 
and just say sex. It's getting out of hand. Oh, it's going to, there's going to be charts and graphs before it's over. But um, when it comes to sex, there are so many crazy, crazy things. And there's so many real life issues. And uh, the thing I like about the Bible is the Bible does not shy away from talking about the awkwardness and the humanness and the weird things that happen when it comes to sex. And uh, I was, this really wasn't part of my notes, but I was just reading this last night. There is this weird story. Because a lot of times I hear people say this all the time. We need to get back to biblical marriage. And you know, you may go to a church and if they say, next week we're going to talk about biblical sex. Well, number one, that doesn't sound very exciting at all. But biblical sex. Well, what is biblical sex? I came across, I knew, knew about this story, but I was just reading it last night. There's this crazy story in the book of Judges. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Judges. Sixth book of the Bible. It's this strange thing happened where this, this one tribe of the people of Israel, almost all the men had been wiped out. Actually, the other tribes of Israel had killed them. But anyway, there's 600 guys left in this one tribe. And so the other people of Israel said, we got to find wives for this, these 600 guys that are left, or this tribe is going to uh, be done away with. They're going to become extinct. These guys don't have any wives. And the, Israel, the people of Israel had made a vow that we are not going to let any of the women from our other tribes marry you guys. The Bible is weird. You should read the Bible sometimes. It's a very strange thing. And so this is their solution. For 400 of them, they went to this other neighboring tribe and they killed all the men, took their wives and gave them to these guys. Biblical marriage. So, but there were 200 guys left that didn't have wives. They're like, hey, no, no women. It's like going, going to, uh, to college at uh, Missouri S&T. There were no girls. No, there were. Uh, there was about 10%. I went there years ago. It was about 10% girls. It was like, where's all the chicks? There's no girls here. I had a girlfriend, so it didn't matter. But doesn't mean I didn't think that. Let's move along. So there were 200 guys. 200 guys that were like, how about us? So they thought a minute, and they said, okay, we have a great idea. This is why, by the way, this is theological, Mark, wanting to teach you something. You don't just open the Bible, point your finger, and say, see, that's what we're supposed to do. Watch this. There was this. They said, here's the idea. This is how we're going to get you guys some women. The Bible... It's like these guys are pimps. We got to get you some chicks. I don't know. What are we going to do it? So here's the idea. There's this festival every year where all the available girls, the girls that were still virgins, they went out into the woods and they danced. They had this, you almost see them with their, like their frilly dresses and maybe they're playing flutes or something. And they had this festival where they danced through the woods. So they told the guys, okay, you guys hide behind the trees. And when a girl goes by dancing, you jump out and grab her and take her to your tent and have sex with her, and then she'll be your wife. Biblical marriage. Thank you. Let's close in prayer. It's like this strange, strange thing. But here's the question I don't want to tell that story. I just want you to know that the, the Bible doesn't shy away like most churches have from talking about the real strange things and the real issues. And that was not God's plan, by the way, for, for how you get... A girl. That's one thing I love about Jesus is when Jesus came, he said, the way you guys are thinking about and treating women, we got to change this because you guys are created perfectly equal. That's another message. But if you, let's say you'd never been to Stonebrook, you'd never been to Stonebrook, and 
you just think of maybe a church that you've been in in the past or think about churches that you know, a traditional church, and they announce, now next week we're going to talk about what the Bible says about sex. What would you expect to hear? What are some things you think that they would say? There you go. What else? Go to hell. <laughs> oh, you're going to hell if you do that. Exactly. Here's some words that I, these are, these are words that people would expect for a church to say about sex. No. Just say no. Don't. You can't. You're not supposed to. Whatever, fill in the blank. Wait. Or just basically sin. Church equates sex with sin. And it really creates a lot of guilt. And I know of couples that they, they believed that they were supposed to wait until they got married and they waited. And I told this in first service, I have to tell it again. We have, I talked to Chris and Rachel this week. I was talking about, we were talking about different things about marital sex and what we were going to talk about. And he said, you know, we waited till we got married until we had sex. But then he added, but it wasn't for lack of trying. <laughs> so, but... I know couples that waited. They thought it was honoring of God and that the Bible said that they needed to wait. And I think that's fine and that's great. But the trouble is that all the church ever said was, no, you can't, don't, it's a sin. Oh, that's bad. When they talk about sex, it's always in a very negative connotation. And then I know couples that struggle with that guilt even years and years after they're married. I know a guy that would, it took weeks, I think even months before he could consummate the marriage because he felt so guilty to be in the same room with a naked woman. You're married, dude. I know, but all I've ever heard is no, and you can't, and you're not supposed to. And we have this idea that, you know, well, okay, me and my wife are going to have sex, Jesus, if you could give us a little time, maybe you could leave the room. We don't want you to see this, you know. Give me an hour, Jesus. The wife's like, five minutes. <laughs> but anyway, let me show you another example here. This is just, and this is my main purpose today. Because we, we could talk about, you know, we could get really detailed with this, but my main, main purpose is you to understand that it is something that's sacred and holy. But here's another thing. You, you guys know what this phrase here means? Missionary position? You ever heard of missionary? Because here's, here's pictures. I have, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of the guys were like, yeah, church is getting so good. <laughs> missionary position. The reason, does anybody know why the missionary position? If you don't know what it is, Google can be your friend or it could get a little ugly. Make sure there's some, well, anyway. Look it up. Ask, ask a friend. Um... Do you know why missionary position is called missionary position? Anybody? Years ago, when missionaries from the United States went overseas, and they would be maybe in the jungles of South Africa or, or I mean, South America or Africa, and they would notice that the natives are, you know, they're a horny bunch. So... Like, can you say horny in church? No. You say horny outside the church? Why can't you say it in church? Here, let's just, I'm gonna, I want to get you guys out of this. Here we go. One, two, three. Horny. Yeah, see, some of you are like, yeah, finally. 
Can we wrap this up, Pastor? I got, you know, okay. Uh, but anyway, missionaries, they're in Africa, and they see all these, the, the tribes are having sex in all kinds of different ways and forms. And they were like, no, whoa, whoa, time out, guys. The only approved way to have sex, according to God, is the missionary position. And I was, uh, we, one of the guys on our security team was telling me this. He's from North Carolina. I so wish he was from Arkansas. It's probably true in Arkansas, too. I have friends from Arkansas. I like to tell jokes about Arkansas. But in North Carolina, it's actually still on the books. It's illegal to have sex in any other way besides the missionary position. It has to be after 8 o'clock at night, and the shades have to be drawn. <laughs> that didn't come just from regular, normal people. That came from religion. And from Christianity, supposedly, from the Bible, because we're so afraid of the bad things. And, and here's, here's the truth about sex. It is a wonderful, wonderful gift of God that can cause so much union and fulfillment and satisfaction and oneness in a relationship. But we also know it has the potential for such damage. But that's why I think we need to start these conversations. We can't talk about it all today, but we need to have this attitude of openness um, to where we can, we can just honestly say, here's, here's where I'm not understanding, here's where I don't know, here's where I'm having frustrations, here where I, here's where I'm feeling used. Um, but it, it's not something that we need to shy away from and look at as something that God would not, not be pleased with. That, uh, that is religion, and we want to get away from that. But here are some words that when it comes to sexual relationships and marriage, maybe something that you've experienced. Uh, words like frustration. Uh, hurt. There are many times in a relationship there are some legitimate, real reasons for disappointment and hurt. A uh, rejection uh, a person can feel because the the sexual union isn't what they expected or what they believe they need or or what uh, suits their particular um, way of feeling wanted and desired. That they really feel a rejection. Many times, uh, and, and, and we say things about men and women in this, in this particular series, especially this particular discussion, and they're true in a gen general sense, but many times there are women that they will feel very used, that, uh, you know, he's just looking at me as a piece of meat to fill his sexual needs, and they can feel very degrading. But here are the words that we want to begin to shift it toward when we begin to think of God and sex is, yes. Oh, yeah. Awesome. It's a gift. Enjoyment. Pleasure. You've probably not been in many churches where they're talking about sex at all. And they say it's actually something that's very pleasurable. Something that's for satisfaction. Something that's for your fulfillment. Something that's to bring intimacy and oneness. This is God's plan from the very beginning. And God himself, and this is sort of what I want us to shake off, is that somehow God is uninterested. And that God is not involved. And it wasn't his big idea to begin with. But God uses sexual language to describe his relationship with us. All through the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, God pictures himself as a husband that is pursuing his bride. And many times his bride is very resisting. But he's constantly showing us his bride. It's one thing that helped me in my marriage is I finally saw, now wait a minute, God's calling me his bride. I'm a bride. <laughs> and I had to sort of adjust to it. I don't know if I like this or not. But it helped me to begin to think 
well, how does God treat me? How does God, when, when God thinks about me, how, what does he want to do? How does he want to be with me? And he uses actual language that we would consider sexual. And I don't know if we'll get to it today, but it's sort of going to be your homework assignment. I've got several scriptures from this particular book. And in the first service, I wasn't able to get to it. But um, especially like if you think, I can't believe you guys saying you shook me all night long. Uh, you know what the words say? You need to go to a book in the Old Testament called the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. I was reading through it last night. I'm like, I have to be blushing here. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe that they're saying this. But that's sort of going to be your homework assignment. Maybe even with your, with your spouse. Let's just read through this story of this couple that and how they speak with each other, the freedom and the openness and the vulnerability and the um, just downright, the, the expression that they do, so graphic and so specific, but yet so loving and caring. It's the way that it's language that God uses to talk about us. In fact, he, in the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul he started a church in this town called Ephesus. And he, he writes back to this church and he's answering some questions they have about being married. And at, at the end of his discussion about marriage, he says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. By the way, when the Bible uses this expression that a man is joined to his wife and the two are united into one, he doesn't mean... Yeah, they're just sort of close now. He's talking about an actual sexual act that I'm in you, you're in me. That's the way God designed it. And they become one flesh. And then he says this. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. Or Christ and the people that he's, uh, he has uh, given his life for the people that he is saving, the people that have accept him, accepted him. He said, just the way that a husband and wife get together and they are united and they become one flesh through this act of marriage, through the sex act, it's really that whole thing is an illustration of how much I love you. And so marriage is given as something that's very holy, it's very sacred, and very much God's idea. And there's something spiritual that happens. We sort of want to to separate marriage, and especially when it comes to sex, we don't think of that as a spiritual thing. In fact, some of us, we, we've been taught in church so much to not, and you're not supposed to, and you can't, and you sin, and we, we separate that from something that is something that pleases God. But it's actually, in fact, this, it's, it's interesting to me. If you study pagan religions this, uh, that are worshiping different gods, and they, you know, they would perform a sacrifice and incense or whatever. But most of these pagan temples, in fact, the Apostle Paul had to deal with it several times in his letters to his churches. But some of these, most of these pagan temples, they had temple prostitutes. Part of your worship is you have a sacrifice, you light some incense, have sex with this girl. As a worship to whatever gods you were worshiping. Actually, the union between man and wife is an act of of worship and thanks, and it's pleasing to God for you to actually enjoy that, for that to be an illustration of how loving and caring he is to us. 
And there's something spiritual. Paul says it this way to the church at uh, Corinth. He said, and don't you know, don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute even, he becomes one body with her. Then he uses the same scripture where God is talking about men and women being married and becoming one. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. He's saying that there's something actually spiritual that happens. That's why we have guidelines. That's why we have guardrails and boundaries to this thing that God has created because there's something that bonds two people together when you have sex in the context of marriage. There's something uh, sacred and holy about it. But God is not surprised at all by your sexual desire. He's not upset because you're in the mood. He's not upset because you look at that man and you say, oh, his muscles. It just does something for me. I don't know how to do the girl part. I should have had a stand-in. Do what the girl, and I don't know if you girls even do that at all. But I just don't know much about girls, I guess. But God's not surprised by your sexual desire. He's not up in heaven looking down going, wow, Jesus, Holy Spirit, angels, come here quick. Look. Did you know that they were going to do that with those things there? Did you know that? And they look over at the, Oh, my, you. What? That, I wasn't in charge. I wasn't in charge of that department. That was like day eight of creation or something. That wasn't my deal. God's not going, you know, I, I didn't see it coming. We're going to have to write a book, and the book's going to have to tell them, no, it's a sin. No. God created you with sexual desire. He created you with the fact that that sexual relationship causes certain things to happen in your life. For example, once again, men and women, these are general, general things. You may be, because I was talking to some people in between, they were like, well, that's, I'm really more like the guy, and he's more like, you know, so it's, these are generally true. But there's a reason that guys, when they are accepted, when they feel pursued, when they feel that they're not rejected, and that their wife loves them physically, there's something that happens when this is, he's being fulfilled that way, but there's just a, there's a, there's almost a strength, there's almost an energy, there's a feeling that I can conquer the world as long as this woman loves me. There's something that God created us that way where we're like, I can do anything now. It's interesting, we, in Song of Solomon, in fact, I don't have to do the same thing in second service all the time. If you, can, if you can go down, Brian, to the very first few verses where I have the Song of Solomon listed, oh, it may just, I don't know exactly what number it would be, but, um, oh, there it is. Do you mind if we just read a few verses from Song of Solomon? This may get a little steamy, so here we go. This, by the way, Song of Solomon is this guy and this girl going back and forth. And it's, it's, a, it's just this beautiful love affair and this, uh, this sort of, it's, I'll tell you what it is. It's the Bible version of sexting is what it is. So here we go. Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. This is the girl talking to the guy. How fragrant your cologne. Your name is like it's spreading fragrance. No wonder all the young women love you. It's, it's interesting with most guys they want to feel 
like all the women love them. Now, they want, they will say, you'll say to them, honey, am I the only one you love? Yes, honey, you're the only one I love. Yes, absolutely. And you don't, and some of you guys, you, you ladies, you set us up with this one. You see that girl over there? Yeah, you think she's pretty? I always, you know, I've measured it, but my wife and I got pretty good with this. And I will say, yes, woo, man, she's good looking. But you are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. But there's, it's an amazing thing. Men, in general, in general, men, we like to have our ego inflated. We like to feel that the woman that we have given ourselves to and the woman that we are in love with really still thinks we've got it. I mean, you know, we turn sideways and we're, we're trying, I just can't, I, I, I don't have any more room to suck it in anymore. But we want to feel... So this girl says to him, no wonder all the young women love you. You can just see this guy going, really? You think so? That doesn't mean he wants all the young women. He just wants to think that you believe he is so amazing. And too often, this is where, when I'm talking about being like Jesus and putting the other person before you and giving and mutual submission too many times in our relationships, we want to put, just like last week, we were talking about the horse, we want to put a halter on someone and hold them real close because we have a selfish desire to keep them for us only. But true freedom is where you get to the place where, you know, all the, oh, you can have any woman you want, but you've got me. That boldness, this boldness back and forth in Solomon. You need to read it. Read it. This is probably what we'll do the rest of the service now. I like this. But notice this. I, I, I'd never seen this before. This woman then says to him, take me with you. Come, let's run. The king has brought me into his bedroom. She calls this guy the king. But once again, three minutes later. No, I'm just kidding. But... But, she, no, but notice, she's not just flattering him. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, about the, the uh, promiscuous woman that found that guy in the street, and she said to him, you are the one that I was after. And the Bible says he yielded because of her words. It doesn't matter if it's the guy or the girl. This applies to both. The other person needs to hear what you think of them specifically, what do you like about them? What do you like about their body? As you read through the Song of Solomon, and we might read a few more verses, but it gets funny because remember this is an ancient book. This was written, oh, Song of Solomon, about 2,800 years ago. And at one point, you know, he's trying to describe the woman. To, he's trying to say nice things. And he says, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. Is that good or bad? I don't know. But notice, here, let's, let's read some other things. Look at this. See, you thought that the horse thing was just me. You are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. <laughs> Does that do it for you, ladies? Do you like that? That's the guy saying, you're just as exciting as that mare I saw last week. Honey, you're just like a horse. Great. <laughs> I'm sorry. The Bible makes me laugh. Okay, how lovely. How lovely are your cheeks. Your earrings set them afire. How lovely is your neck, enhanced by a string of jewels. 
And notice he's, he starts promising her things. We will make for you earrings of gold and beads of, cereal, cer- of silver. <laughs> cereal, not on my budget. Uh, but uh, beads of silver. But this woman's love language must be gifts because he's saying, your neck is so beautiful, we have got to go shopping and buy you a new necklace for that neck. It cannot be unadorned. Let's, let's read on a few of these. My lover is like, I don't know what that even is, a sachet of myrrh lying between my breasts. We said breasts in church, and it was all right. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. Then she begins to say to him, you are so handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. The soft grass is our bed. In other words, let's go do it outside in the field. You guys aren't, aren't with me like you need to be here. Like a, lily, like a lily among thistles is my darling among young women. Like the finest apple tree in the orchard. In the orchard. Now, here, this, I didn't, I didn't know if we wanted to get to this, but here is the Bible saying, how can I say this and not completely embarrass my son who's here? Like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. I don't know if I need to draw you a picture there. But um, sitting in the shade and tasting his fruit is what the Bible is talking about there. So, is it getting hot in here? Turn the air conditioner up or down a little bit. Uh, let's read the next line. My lover is like a swift gazelle. Or a young stag. Look, there he is behind the wall, looking through the window, peering into the room. My lover, and this is, this is the reason all this is. We'll end with this. You read the rest of it in your own time with some candlelight and, I don't know, bath beads or whatever. My lover is mine and I am his. Over and over through the Song of Solomon, they come back to this line. And this is really the purpose of, of sexual relationship is for your lover to know I'm yours and I'm yours only. I can't speak so much for the women, but there's, there's something when a, a woman is accepting and she doesn't reject you and she is welcoming and she is willing and she acts like she's enthusiastically interested in you as a human being physically. Something happens where you feel like Wow, you're really mine. That's the whole purpose of this sexual union. Now, um, I've skipped all around my slides and I'm all messed up. Go back to where I talk about men and women are. I'm going to drop a truth bomb on you. We'll just talk about this a little bit and then we'll move on. Okay, this is something you may not be aware of. So this is, you know, drop a big truth bomb on you. Men and women are different. Huh? Is that, you never, you didn't know that one probably. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm here all week. Men and women are different. Now, I want to read a few scriptures, then we'll talk about this real quick. Paul said, writing to the Corinthians again, he said, now regarding the questions you ask in your letter, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. Ooh, that's sort of bad news. But he goes on to say, the husband should fulfill what? 
his wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. Too many times in our relationships, even as Christians, we are still approaching much of our relationship, but especially this area, from a selfish, self-centered, what's in it for me, what do I want, what do I need standpoint. When the basis of everything that is Jesus is, including sex, is, I am here for you. What can I do? What do you want? What do you need? I'm not in this for what I can get from me. If I lose my life, Jesus says I gain it. If I try to save my life, in other words, if I think about only my life, it's going to end up in frustration and disappointment. But the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual need. The wife should fulfill his. Um, the next one. The wife gives authority over her body to the husband. And the husband gives. This is not forced. This is not required. This is not taken. This is something willingly given over his body to the wife. And then we come back to this scripture. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I just have a few minutes. Stick with me. Most of you know this, but this is just some practical things to remind us, and we'll get out of here, and you can go do some lab experiments or whatever you want to do. Usually, usually, men are microwaves, women are crockpots. And as I say many times, men sometimes are a crock of something else. But in general, and just like in between service, I talked to some different guys. And some of them said, well, you know, I'm sort of a crock pot. But most said, no, microwave. Beep, I'm ready. <laughs> it's just, what does it take to get a man ready? Good stiff breeze, anything. And men are, yes, yes. But women, many times, not always. And it's not something where I'm trying to be dismissive or say, if you're not like this, you're not really a woman. No, not at all. Um, but and it, this is where you have to actually talk to each other. You have to have vulnerable, open conversations because you may have a man, frankly, you know, just to be a little open and embarrassing here, frankly, I'm a little bit of a crockpot. In our relationship, I'm the romantic one. I'm the one, let's go out to dinner, let's have some meaningful conversation. Let's watch this movie. It's more of a chick flick. Don't get me wrong. If we could have a chick flick that's romantic with an occasional car, track, uh, car chase and kung fu scene, is that too much to ask for these romantic movies? Then get back to the romantic part. But every now and then, time out. These people are going to fight to the death. Ooh, that was great. Now let's go back to the romance. But anyway, I'm more of the romantic person, and she's, I don't know, she's neither one, actually. I don't know what she is. <laughs> but one spouse may be more adventurous and desires variety. You know, God didn't just make everything one color. He didn't make us like, I forget how many uh, species of like ants there are. God is into varieties, not the same thing. Well, we made one of those, that's all we ever need. But then others are more practical, maybe want to be more consistent. Communication, communication is the key. Safe, vulnerable conversation, like we said. And uh, there may be re- legitimate reasons for hesitancy and resistance. It's not just that I don't like you anymore. It's maybe there's some actual physical pain going on. There may be experiences or trauma from the past that certain things are triggering that, that you need to say, honey, is it, what, what can I do different to serve you? How can I meet your needs? When it comes to women, most women, not all women, she needs to feel safe and protected and cared for. 
You need to show her love, and this is, this is a really big one. You need to show her love in non-sexual ways. If the only time that you come up to her and start giving her a back rub, she, it's just like the horse in the field we talked about last week. If the only time he sees you, and I know this maybe even sort of sounds bad, especially with what we're talking about, the only time he sees you is you put a halter on him and throw a saddle on him and ride him for three hours, then he doesn't want to see you anymore. It's the same thing with your wife. You know, I'd love a back rub, but I know what a back rub means, and I work 12 hours a day, and the kids still need to be fed, and you've got to be kidding me. But there has to be times where you're showing love to her, and you're not in it for anything else but showing love to her. It's, this may take some time. In fact, that's the, if I could, the biggest recommendation I can have for guys is take your time. Take your time. But for guys, he wants to feel respected. He wants to feel desired and pursued. Guys love to be pursued. They love for their spouse, like I said, in general. Girls may be the same way. They want to uh, not be the ones that have to initiate all the time. Because with, with some guys, it's like, you know, roll the dice. What do you think, honey? No? Okay. Tomorrow night. What do you think? And it's like, you know, maybe I'll get one out of ten or something. And it's, he wants to know that, wow, this is your idea? And once again, most guys are microwaves. It doesn't take that much. But here, ladies, one word, one word. Guys love to be flirted with. They love to be flirted with. I'm not talking about being somebody you're not. I'm not talking about turning into somebody that's not your personality or degrading yourself or anything like that. But the way that you acted when you were so in love with him when you were dating, it's one of the things many times that causes affairs. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he wants some other girl. It's because this other girl suddenly is giggling and laughing when he tells a joke. And when I tell a joke at my house, I get eyes rolling or something like that. But when we first dated, when I would tell a joke, the stupidest joke, oh, hee, hee, you know. And I tell my wife all the time, because some guy will be talking to her, and he'll say something goofy, and she'll laugh. And when I walk away, I'll say, he thinks you like him. And she'll be like, he does not. Oh, yeah, he does. Here, I don't know if I can get guys to be honest in public. When a girl laughs at your joke, guys, does it make you feel a little bit like she digs you just a little? Back me up here. Guys, you're afraid you're there by your wife. Honey, put your hand down. No, but it's absolutely, absolutely true. And we're going to end with this. Our time's just gone. If you make him feel guilty for his propensity towards sex, he'll have a harder time responding to your propensity for romance. And vice versa. If you make her feel guilty because she doesn't want to just, you know, after the football game and you've been eating Cheetos and you smell like beer and you've been farting and scratching and hand down your pants, just, and you look over at her and say, so honey, what do you think? You want it? Come on. Pastor, I need to talk to you. Me and my wife are having trouble in the bedroom. You're actually having trouble in the living room with your hand down your pants while you're watching football. She wants to be wooed. She wants to be romanced. She wants to feel like she is the most special thing on the earth, and you care about her. You care about her personally. You're not just there. She's not just there to be used. Well, our time is gone.
Um, two real quick things. This is a terrible conclusion. I'm just, well, we're done. Time's gone. <laughs> Go figure the rest out. Go home and read Song of Solomon. Um, you know, we're going to need more help in the nursery, I can tell, nine months from now. But um, two really quick things. Wednesday night, be here Wednesday night. It's a lot of fun. We got food here. We got free child care. Just come here after work. Doors open at 6, 6.30, the group, various groups. Get in the group. Money matters. It'll just change your life. Um, but then next week, next week, we decided, because we've done this marriage series and, um, you know, people are at various stages in their marriage, maybe you've been married a few years, maybe you've been married a long time, and you've been through some rough things, and occasionally you might think, I wish we could just sort of start over. This, this has sort of started the conversation a little bit, and we've been in that marriage group, and we're, my husband and I are finally talking. Um, I wish we could just sort of start over. We thought it would be cool to just have, next week I'm just, I'll talk for a shorter time. You can clap to that if you want. But I'll talk a shorter time. Then we're going to have a ceremony where if you would like to, you can, we're going to renew your vows right here in the service. So don't pressure your wife to do this. You may not want to do it at all. It's perfectly fine if you don't. But some of you may think, you know, that would be, that'd be pretty cool. It's been a while since we've been married. Let's, let's do that. It's not a big thing. It's not official. If you're not married, this will not marry you. But uh, we'll just take a little time at the end of the service and have a renewal of your vows. So if you'd like to sign up for that, go to stonebrook.tv slash renew, and somebody will, will send you an email maybe to tell you some more details about it. But it's just something we came up with, thought it'd be a cool thing to do. So I'm going to pray real quick. We'll get you out of here. Father, we thank you so much for, I just thank you for this church where we can we don't have to do things perfectly. It doesn't have to be polished or smooth. We, um, we're all going through similar situations. I thank you for helping us with those. Helping us to see that Jesus is involved in every single thing that matters to us. And Lord, our relationships really matter to us. And for those that are here that are struggling, I ask you to jump in the middle of that situation and change hearts, change the way they're thinking, change the way that they look at each other. Help them to initiate conversations where they can discuss some of their real problems. And I just ask you to surround them and flood them with your love. That your love for them will manifest itself in love for each other. Thank you for everything you're doing in our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks for hanging out, guys. We Oh, sorry. This is Khalees Hall over here. She's one of the best human beings on the planet. If you need somebody to just maybe pray with you or talk to you about some things you're going through. She's going to be back at the studio after service, and she would love to pray with you about whatever you need to. All right. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.